This is It's PR Darlings, a podcast all about the dark arts of public relations, publicity and all things media. We're fighting the same battle that every news outlet across Australia is fighting, which is that there could be 110 terrific stories to cover on any one day, but resourcing means that we can't get to all of them. Join us to learn more about the world of PR and how it can help build your business. There's a growing number of news deserts across Australia, which is defined as just one source of news. So making sure that, you know, AAP is there alongside the the public broadcaster, for example, is, is really vital. And if you're just starting your PR career, then come along for the ride. We're speaking to all kinds of journalists, producers and industry professionals. Yeah, great question. And look, it's something that I think the PR industry of Australia has been trying to answer neatly for, for decades, isn't it? I'm Greer Quinn from Forward Communications. I pull a blanket over my head with my oh, too. Yeah. And I'm Jo Stone from Sticks and Stones PR. I just need a drink of water here. Got the aircon happening, the dog's locked up, it's all good. And together we are your PR darlings. Welcome to the It's PR Darlings podcast, where we're on a mission to pull back the curtain on all things media, publicity and public relations. Our It's PR Darlings podcast is a joint venture between myself, Greer Quinn of Forward Communications, and me, Joe Stone of Sticks and Stones PR. We're both former journos who met when we were working at the ABC. As well as being an educational tool, we also want It's PR Darlings to be an advocate for the media, which is often seen, but ironically, not heard. Part of that is breaking down some of the terminology used in the industry and we bring each episode to you with one of these weird industry words. Today's word is embargo, but because we love to add a little bit of an element of suspense, we're going to put an embargo on telling you about it until the end of this show. Today's special guest is Andrew Drummond from Australian Associated Press, or AAP as it's more commonly known. He's leading the newswire as editor and he's got incredible journalism pedigree, including time as a Europe correspondent based in London and a stint in the Canberra Press Gallery. So listen up because AAP could become your secret PR weapon. Let's get straight into it. There's still so much that people don't understand about the way media works and how news becomes news. We feel that your service is particularly even more unseen than other parts of the media landscape. Can you tell us what AAP is and how it fits within that broader landscape of the media? Absolutely. Uh, Look, most people who do know anything about AAP, the majority of them only know us as a, an acronym at the, at the end of a, a, a news story, a print news story, or maybe beside a photograph. And, and um, you know, there have been some changes to, to AAP over the past 12 months, uh, which mean that we've a lot more freedom these days to promote the AAP brand, which is great, and hopefully get a bit more understanding and recognition of what AAP is all about. Um, but in a nutshell, AAP is a wholesaler of news, and the the original model was that uh, you know a, a number of 
publishers came together to create AAP so that they could um, develop a cost-efficient means of gathering news from both across Australia and internationally um, that they could pool, if you like, for their for their own purposes. So, um, by way of example, if there's a footy game happening in Townsville, AAP has a presence in Townsville and can provide coverage of that. And so, rather than several radio stations and um, print outlets sending their own um, reporter or or needing to hire someone local to cover that at great expense, um, we we would cover that and provide photography, which is distributed across the network for people to use. So, and how does it distribute its news? You know, does it generate income from that? Is that where you're making your money, or is it true that you're actually not for profit these days? Yeah, so AAP is now a not for profit outfit but we still have to we still have to pay the bills so um yeah we we draw revenue from our from a subscription base so we have we have customers and clients um and they you know they include um print broadcast and digital and also some corporate or niche clients uh so yes absolutely we we draw revenue from there um but the not-for-profit element of aap is just that you know, we no longer pay dividends to shareholders. Uh, any money that we make is is poured back into the business. So the more the more revenue that we can draw, the the, the greater the um, you know the the breadth of our of our coverage. The breadth of that coverage is actually a really important part of Australian um, media, isn't it? It's really important that we're able to access the the game in Townsville and, and read about some of these smaller things that we maybe can't send people to. Absolutely. Look, um, AAP's always um, prided itself on having a, a, a really good network. We've got a presence uh, in every state and territory of Australia. We've also, um, you know, uh, we've also got someone based in in New Zealand, and we're actually one of the only Australian print. Um, sort of providers to have someone based permanently in New Zealand these days and and the value of that was borne out during the recent New Zealand election. Um, But yeah, look, it's it's essential to be able to provide that on the ground coverage uh, because, you know, how does... How does how do the local newspapers in far north Queensland know about what's happening with the West Australian bushfires? Um, you know, there's a, there's a growing number of news deserts across Australia, which is defined as just one source of news. So, making sure that you know AAP is there alongside the the public broadcaster, for example, is is really vital. I love that um, AAP is actually putting a heavy focus in local news. Local news is just so important on a number of levels. I'm interested though as well what you were saying before that you've now uh, I guess reinvigorated the brand to some extent. So your reporters, do they get bylines or is it just AAP at the end of the story? How do people know that they're reading an AAP story if they see it in the paper? Look, um, anyone who's ever worked out or had anything to do with AAP knows it's a real point of contention, the, 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 the byline argument. You don't, you don't um, traditionally work for AAP um, to, to, to make a name for yourself. Um, you know, essentially... Uh, subscribers are are paying for our content to be able to do what they like with it. Um, So if that means that 
they want to run it without a byline. I guess that's their right. It's our it's our preference, and it's also a contractual agreement that they acknowledge that it's from AAP and run it with a reporter's byline. Um, but also, subscribers can you know take the idea that we may get quotes for and and turn it into something different. So in that regard, it's not exclusively. You know, you know, it's not just our our reporters' work, um, but certainly AAP is now a not for profit. We don't have shareholders. We've moved out of that, you know, to be seen but not heard sort of mentality now, which is which is really good for us. So we really want people to be able to recognise the AAP brand and see it as the objective you know, long-standing Australian newswire that it is as a trusted source of, of public information. So we're really keen to hear about AAP's focus post that ownership change as well. So can you just explain how it's structured? Is it separated by in individual journalists' interests or specialities? How do you run the day-to-day? Yeah, sure. Look, um, you know, AAP is in many regards what it has always been, and that is, uh, as I mentioned before, a source of objective public public information. Um, you know, we're, we're a 24-hour operation, and within that we, you know, um, hopefully focus on all the things that are important to, to Australians, whether that's sports coverage, um, political coverage, um, world news from our from our partner agencies around the globe. Um, you know, f- photography. Um, our photography is still hugely hugely popular, and it's providing a a, a crucial archive of Australian life. I, I think. Um, so you know, it, it's not. Um, you know, the editorial decisions are still made on merit. There's no influence there. So it's. So it's what is deemed to be the stories of greatest interest on on any given day. Um, obviously, we're fighting the same battle that every news outlet across Australia is fighting, which is that there could be, you know, there could be 110 terrific stories to cover on any one day, but resourcing means that we can't get to all of them. So that's where, um, you know, our our news conferences and our senior staff make calls on on what we should and shouldn't cover and what's in the the greatest public interest. And for people looking to pitch to AAP, what are the sorts of stories that you love and who should they pitch to in the chain of command? Is it the chief of staff? Is it you as the editor? Is it the individual journalist on the ground, say, in Townsville? Yeah, great question. And look, it's something that I think the PR industry of Australia has been trying to answer neatly for for decades, isn't it? Um, and there, unfortunately, there there is no there is no pure answer. And I have this discussion daily with the scores of PR agencies that I deal with. Um, it's an equal mix of breaking news and quirkiness, and you know, even access to you know what access can PR provide. For example, you know, some of the best interviews that AAP has bagged with with sports people, and you know, um, you know celebrities or people in the arts have come through PR pitches. So we're very aware of the value of of PR, but also um, it needs to be relevant. For us, it needs to be timely. Um, you know, how is this issue playing out in, in the national sort of news cycle on any given day? Um, if it's something uh, that that is not time precious, 
you know, can it wait? Uh, in which case things like the amount of notice you're giving is really important and also who else you've given it to because uh, if you're throwing a throwing a pitch out into the, you know, news cycle on a Tuesday um, and you're giving it to everyone um, and there's no scope for AAP to get to it because of the busy news cycle until the weekend, uh, if everyone else has run it prior to that, then it's probably something not something that we're going to pick up. So do you have a preferred way then to receive a pitch? Is it still the media release the ideal thing or is it an email with bullet points, a phone call? Email is always the, the best option in the first instance. Um, I, I, I sometimes wonder if people in the PR world think I'm lying when I say to them that by 8 o'clock each morning I've already received about 60 pitches and that's on a daily basis. It's so, crazy, isn't it? It is, it is. And look, I, 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 I sympathise with people in those <laughs> positions because everyone's got a client to please and everyone is also thinking that their story is the most important. Um, but so how in- do you... How, how do you prioritise those 60 emails? <laughs> are you going to let us in on the secret? <laughs> yeah, look, um, I guess there is no secret. Um, some days I don't have a chance to look at them until four o'clock in the afternoon, to be honest. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I share them with, with the other editorial staff to get their opinion. If it's geographically specific, often I'll go, you know, I'll forward them to those people and ask them to have a look through and see if there's anything here of merit. Um, uh, by way of example, during the, during, you know, COVID-19, I think I would easily say that I've received about 10 um, pitches a week to do with face masks. Um I've just lost count Um, and every single one of those people, you know, think that their pitch is worthy of coverage and merit but it's not. Um, It's just the case that it's, you know, there's – we've reached the point where it's not of interest anymore even if it is something really significant. For example, last week the face mask story that got a run is that recycling face masks by using them in um, hot mix – um, road base, <laughs> um, you, right. you know, that that is the level of quirkiness we've reached now. Um, wow. <laughs> um, just, you know, in terms of development and export potential and, you know, scientific breakthroughs, um, we've reached yawn fest time. People aren't interested anymore. Yeah, you might be thinking that you're insulting us by um, saying this, but you're absolutely not because we're often maybe one step before they get to you where they're coming to us telling us that they've got this amazing story, which obviously as ex-journos, we understand what it is like to prioritise news. Mm. And um, yeah, it can be it can be really, really, really tricky. And obviously because we're in that extra situation where it's a client relationship, um, we have to be more diplomatic, I guess, and come up with an alternative angle or solution. But people don't really understand how competitive that environment is in the newsroom and what the chief of staffs are actually going through each morning when they open up their email. It really is. And look, I've, you know, I I use that example of face masks. I've had that conversation with countless number of PR um, professionals recently to just try and explain you know, where we're at just on that one topic. Um, and I, I appreciate that, 
you know, they are dealing with people who are very passionate about their product or their outcome or their, you know, finding, but also how does that resonate to the general public? Um, there's a real, you know, eyes start to glaze over now when stories lead with something to do with with COVID unless it's really hard breaking news. Um, so they're some of the considerations that, that we're having to make on a daily basis on deciding Absolutely. whether or not we pick up the story. And if someone hasn't worked in news, they're not going to know what it's like to be saturated. They might be reading the newspaper and think, oh, my gosh, there's so much COVID news, I'm over it. But actually being at the coalface, there's so much more. You're really only seeing the tip of the iceberg. But I'm interested as well, um, you mentioned before that you've got quite a good photography arm at AAP. Um, Do you still like to have photos provided to you? I mean, how big is your photography department? Um, And are you also looking for maybe other multimedia content like videos to accompany the story? Uh, And how often, I guess, can you actually send a photographer out and is it limited to capital cities or do you have those resources in your regions as well? Look, we've got a we've got a really good network of photographers across across Australia and um, and in New Zealand. So we're really fortunate um, on that front. But again, uh, you know, it's um, photography is a resource heavy, um, uh, you know, practice. So we we can't get to everything, and those decisions are again made on made on news merit, and often they're made quite late um so you know as much notice as a pr agency might give us of an event coming up and you know it's our full intention to get there anywhere up to half an hour before you know we might need to pull the pin given what's what's happening and where news is breaking on any given day so the availability of high resolution professional photography um to go with um you know pr pictures is is really really important and it, it certainly helps get get stories across the line for us um, you know as long as those as long as those images are properly sourced and made available for reproduction um, you know it's not it's not appropriate um, to just you know rip images from here there or everywhere and make them available or tell us that we should be able to find something on social media that you know mm. that that doesn't resonate um it, it, it doesn't work uh so yeah look it's it, it's certainly adding a string to the bow of a story if if there are images available um uh you know a full multimedia set is is not necessary for aap um at at the heart of what we're after a good quality high resolution um still photos so royalty free copyright free yeah, absolutely, because the principle of AAP is that we then distribute that to a number of our clients who who want the right to reproduce it um, uh, on, on their platforms. So, you know, that it, it can't be an image that's restricted, um, okay. you know, or, or made available just for one more one more publication. So, given that things can change at any moment, do you like working with embargoes? Embargoes are great, um, but they need to be necessary. You can't just, you know, what's the reason for an embargo? Um, you know, if if there if it's lined up with an announcement, for example, or the release of some data, then then the embargo has merit. But if it's just for the sake of um, imposing an embargo because 
you know, we we think it's a smart it's move. Yeah, then, yeah. you know, um, and, and unfortunately it's the case that, well, not unfortunately, probably for, for people who've been able to take advantage of it, but, but, but PR agencies have taken advantage of that in recent times, I think, and just applied an embargo where one is, is not necessary. Um, I think a, a, a more intelligent way of doing that is probably dealing with media outlets that you have built a relationship with. Maybe it's one print, one broadcast, one digital, for example, and saying, look, you know, um, coming to you with this story and, you know, it's it's not for publication before a certain time um, upon our mutual understanding um, rather than just shooting it out to everyone with a, with a pointless embargo attached. Mm. Cool. So, Christine. Yeah, so a meaningful embargo rather than just convenient timing for the yeah, PR Yeah, absolutely. Otherwise, what what – you know what's the basis for the embargo? What's what happens if someone doesn't adhere to the embargo? You know, if it's if it's just for the sake of you know making something appear important by attaching an embargo label, and someone breaks that embargo, what is the ramification of that? Um, and if there is no ramification, then why is there an embargo in the first place? Mm. Um. And as AAP's editor, can you talk us through your average day? Like what time do you start? <laughs> no such thing as an average day, unfortunately. <laughs> Especially these days. Hey. Yeah. Um, so, look, usually um, my day would probably start with a check of, um, you know, uh, my personal news consumption anywhere from about 6 o'clock in the morning. Um, just checking through, you know, what are the what are the items of interest for the day on the national news cycle? Um, we're a twenty four seven operation, so it's also important to check up on what we've done overnight um, to bring myself up to speed, and that's with you know world news and our domestic news and also sport. Um, a a check in with where we're headed for the day. Uh, people are starting to come on board in Australia for us from that time. Uh, keeping a keeping abreast of of breaking news, what's coming out of Canberra, who's doing what, where the prime minister is, uh, where our people are, what our photography focus is for the day. Uh, checking in with various various staff across across the nation if there's any particular focus. For example, bushfires in Western Australia last week were were a big issue. So making sure that we've got the necessary resourcing um, in terms of reporters and photography to to, to be covered, um, and also taking into consideration things like time zones there. Um, uh, look, uh, you know, our, our file is well and truly underway by, you know, eight o'clock in the morning. We're generating plenty of copy from a, from across the, the, the country and, and internationally. Things like the global markets are closing, the local markets are opening. Um, so from a finance perspective, how that's playing into, to our day, um, keeping up with planning, um, distributing thing, considering, and, and all the while, you know, these scores of pitches from PR people are starting to come in and I'm starting to field lots of follow-up phone calls, which I'm sure you can appreciate by now sometimes is more of a hindrance than a help. Um, 
you know, um, and then we get on to our daily news conference, which is in the middle of the day, uh, dealing with subscribers. Um, sometimes they have particular requests. They want to know timeframes on when stories will be landing, what our plan is for certain stories. Do you have deadlines? Or is it just a rolling, constant rolling production Look, of news? Yeah, because we're because we're a digital. You know, we also write for digital. There is no deadline, um, but also we're aware of our subscriber deadlines, um, and you know, so we're aware of print deadlines for certain subscribers. So we aim for those, um, you know, sometimes because we're a, a national agency, Western Australia is three hours behind Sydney at the moment, so we have to be aware of that as well. Um, you know, we can't just we can't just get to 7 o'clock at night and pull the pin because, you know, that's only 4 o'clock in the afternoon in Western Australia, so there are still considerations like that, um, not to mention the fact that the, the news doesn't stop just because newspapers somewhere have have been put to bed. Um, so absolutely, we're conscious of it, but it doesn't rule our day. Um, and look, you know, through the afternoon, it's, it's bringing all those strands together, um, making sure we're ticking all the boxes. Um, we have quite a bit of interaction with our customers and what they're after. Um, and uh, yeah, and then, you know, we really are turning our focus to what's happening the next day, what's happening two days after, making sure we're planning adequately, getting stories ready for the next morning because that's a big part of what we do. Um, you know, we're, we're publishing stories that are used by early morning radio and broadcast and to feed uh, websites early in the morning to, to cover that morning traffic. Um, you know, sometimes they're... Sometimes there can be a lull early in the morning, so it's important to turn around the late night news into early morning news that still resonates. Um, That's actually um, a way in which I have used an embargo before to advantage AAP because I know with your newswire service, you actually have to be that little step ahead of the rest of the newsrooms because, in effect, they're your customers, so you need to be giving them the scoop before they get the scoop themselves. So I've actually used an embargo before with the specific intent of advantaging AAP so that you could wrap up your story the day before and then I've embargoed at 12 a.m. for everybody else. Hmm. Would you consider that a, um, <laughs> a, um, a valid way in which to use an embargo or do you think that that's too much of a PR tactic? Uh, it was, it was, it was a um, release of a, a report with data. Yeah, well, in, in which case yes. then, that's, then that's absolutely legitimate. Absolutely, that's, that's fine. Um, and it's a really good way, you know, to, to be able to provide us with the maximum possible notice so that we can, you know, get our, all our ducks in a row because, as I've said, um, you know, if you were to bring that to us on, you know, this afternoon and it's embargoed until tomorrow morning, who knows what other breaking news is going to get in the way of that this afternoon and because it's not for publication until tomorrow, it's just constantly made a second priority until, you know, it, it, it really is in front of us. So if there's any scope to, to increase the amount of time that we've got to work on that, um, then yes, it's a, it's a better outcome for everyone. I was just curious, you said, you know, your subscribers are also asking for stories. Is there something you can tell us about what they're asking for that will help us formulate pictures and work out exactly what you're after? 
Certainly, and, and, and look, I should give some more context uh, about that. It's, it's usually stories that we've let them know we're working on, that they want to know, you know, will there be more on this? Has this generated more reaction? Should we wait longer for this? Can we expect an update on that? Will you be getting some, you know, parliamentary opposition reaction to this, for example? That They're the sort of questions that they're coming to us with. Um, um. Uh, sometimes they will come to us and ask us if we're following a particular story uh, that that we haven't or that we're not. Um, and again, that just comes down to our to our editorial decisions and and resourcing as to whether or not that's something we can follow. And do you think with the tightening up of budgets for content that comms or PR people can potentially play a more important role in supporting journalists to do their job? Oh, look, absolutely. Uh, You know, and I don't, um, you know, I don't for a minute want to make it sound as though I am am dissing the the PR industry. It's vital to us. They provide us with really important stories and and access, as I've said, Um, and and their role is as important now as it's always been, I think. Uh, So, you know, we used the example earlier of the provision of imagery and photographs. That's that's crucial because, as I said, they're very labour-intensive practices that are costly to us. So, if that's some burden that can be relieved by the provision of a photo by a, you know, a, a, a PR professional, then that's great. We're asking this question to everyone, um, but and do you have any pet peeves when it comes to PRs? And I already know it's follow-up calls <laughs> from you. <laughs> Anything else that really springs to mind that um, will help both of our industries work together better? Yeah, look, just just knowledge, I guess, of who you're pitching to. Um, so, you know, I, I, I know, you know, the follow-up phone call is a, is a peeve for me, but I get that that's what you have to do. Um, you don't see it from my side, which is that, you know, by, by eight o'clock each day, I've received 60 PR pitches. And if every one of those is followed up by a phone call, it turns my day yes. into a living nightmare. Um, it's but a lot I, of calls. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But I also get that, you know, you're just doing your job. Look, but but knowledge of who you're pitching to, for example, um, you know, really commercially based stories, anyone who has a knowledge of AAP knows that we're not about, you know, providing commercial plugs. So, um you know, just just a, an awareness there of who you're who you're who you're pitching to. Um, also, things like you know, AAP for example, at the moment doesn't really deal with video content. So, uh, you know, a strong pitch to AAP based on having a huge multimedia offering is is not of huge appeal. You know, photography and. Um, case studies and so on is, but also so just having that knowledge and tailoring your pitch to to the particular news outlet, I think, is also really important. Mm, interesting, and many of AAP's stories end up going viral. I often say that I built a whole career on having a great relationship with an AAP journalist mm. um, early early in my career. If you had to describe the anatomy of a really good yarn, what would that look like? How would you how would you break it down for someone that thinks they've got a good story but needs to look at it objectively? Look, I think it's 
there, there's a there's a list of news priorities that that people can probably make, and among those, I think are things like timeliness. So, timeliness and relevance. How does it fit into the to the national conversation? So, you know, is it something that can fit into something that's being discussed at a at a federal or state political level, for example? Is it something that fits into an inquiry that's underway? Um, is it something that has um, resonated uh, as a as a topic of national debate for whatever reason? Um, is it timely because it fits into a discussion about Australia Day or Christmas or you know how relevant is Easter these days or how important is a particular public holiday? So that timeliness issue is really important. Um, Never underestimate the value of, of the quirkiness factor in news. People love to read about something that is out of left field uh, or particularly surprising. Um, that, is, that is of huge news, news merit. Um, but uh, And that's where um, it's important to have a news gauge of those sort of things because what you might think or what your customer might think ticks ticks the quirkiness box might not tick a news editor's quirkiness box. So there's always going to be a point of difference difference there, which I guess just has to be appreciated from both sides of the fence. So I have a little bit of a random question, but I, I was really interested. Last year, it looked like AAP was going down the tubes and then everyone rallied and realised how important and what an important role AAP was playing to get coverage from some of these smaller regional areas, for example, and um, coverage for things that maybe the commercial um, newspapers and TVs weren't covering. What was that like going through that uh, as an organisation and within the organisation? Yeah, look, great, great question, Joe. It was, it was tough. Um, you know, Everyone who works for AAP is really passionate about AAP uh, and anyone who has ever worked for or had any dealings with AAP has a huge appreciation for what we do. But also we have been the provider of public information that's been, you know, seen but not heard um, for, for decades. So um, there was a real risk to the Australian media landscape there for a while that that AAP would be lost and I don't think the 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 true impact of that would have been known until we were actually gone so the fact that that we have been saved um, and we really were saved um, by by some people who had an appreciation of just how important we were um, is is really important and I think you know regardless of you know it's News in Australia, as it is everywhere, is a cutthroat industry. Um, and even those people who don't, you know, have any connection with AAP, I think they would still admit that the service we provide is vital, both from a perspective of providing um, diversity to the Australian um, media landscape, but also just in terms of providing um, solid, objective and trusted news. Um, so it's, it's been... Um, incredibly humbling to see so many people get behind and support AAP um, and for the newswire to continue and and not a single 
um, member of AAP staff, um, you, you know, that's not lost on any of us, just how, how humbling and important um, that, that move has been. And just on that, do you think that being so invisible actually put you at risk? Uh, look, partly, um, you know, the, the pressures that have faced all of the Australian media landscape have also been faced by AAP. But uh, yeah, sure, because we've been such a hidden a hidden voice up until now, I guess people wouldn't have known what they were losing until it was gone. Um, it's it's much easier to mention a particular you know newspaper masthead for example people people would be able to conceptualize what it would be like to lose that but when you're talking about AAP which has largely been hidden from view for so long um, how do people know what they're going to lose until it's actually gone so absolutely it, it would have played into to to the loss yeah. And Andrew, you've obviously been around in this industry for a really long time, really fine-tuning your craft. For some of our listeners who might be aspiring journalists, could you tell us a little bit more about how you got into the industry and got into the position that you're in today? Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, look, I, it was never my intention to study journalism, I, 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 but I did so at university and I went to country New South Wales to complete a cadetship. Um, you know, even even back then, the, the competition was fierce and it's even greater now. Uh, I often speak to my colleagues about how we would probably not have a look in for getting a getting a gig in in journalism these days, the competition is so fierce. Um, but look, a, a preparedness to to work hard and and go where you need to go. I, I probably didn't have any personal um, you know aspirations of moving to country New South Wales, but I spent a lot of my early career there, um, working my way up through regional towns and cities and before getting to Sydney and, and and getting a gig with with AAP and 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 taking it from there. So look, it's it's hard work. It's harder work now than it's ever been. Um, and I imagine that will only get worse um, or, or harder. Um, but look, just having the ability to speak to people and um, you know uh, and and be friendly and 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 generate story ideas is is really important. As is having a really good working knowledge of of the news cycle on every given day. Andrew, thank you so much for joining us and giving us your time. We're so happy that AOP has not only survived 2020, but it's actually thrived. And it's just great that you're still around and providing such an important service to Australians. So thank you so much. Yeah, no, thank you, Andrew. I must admit, I was sitting on the edge of my chair when I was seeing the news last year. AAP has always been such an amazing uh, service, both as a PR practitioner and as a journo. So I'm Super happy that you've gotten through this. Thanks for being on its PR darlings. Ah, uh, not at all, Bria. Thank you. Thank you both. And um, this is really valuable. Now, we did promise at the beginning of the show that we'd give you the insider scoop on what an embargo is and how to use one. I do like an embargo because it allows you as the comms person to plan, but it also allows you to provide a more egalitarian approach to a media release distribution. 
Essentially, an embargo of, say, 12am on a Monday morning means a PR can send everything out the previous week without fear of killing the story. And we can send emails out to select journalists and and spend that time interacting on a one-on-one basis. Totally. And we can also take bookings for pre-interviews on print pieces or pre-records on radio or even TV interviews, which means that everyone can do their work in advance so long as they wait until 12am Monday morning to put the story to air. It's not a strategy to use lightly and it's not just for every story. This is a strategy adopted when you want to make sure that everyone gets an equal opportunity to tell a story or work on a complex article and perhaps you as the PR have to manage multiple angles. Sometimes it might be a pre-release of information like a business announcement or research, for example, that you really need to keep under wraps until a certain date. So it's about considering everyone's workloads the comms people's need to tailor the pitch to each individual news outlet. The journos really want us to do this and appreciate it when we do, but they often don't understand that this isn't the easiest thing to do when balancing client expectations or budgets. Um, And a common pet peeve we hear on the show is around public relations professionals not taking the time to understand the news outlet's audience. We always take this on the chin. But as the go-betweens, we're often doing a very delicate dance between client needs, journalist needs, and our own ability to deliver in a highly personalised and professional way. And that can be very multi-layered. The radio journos need to deliver the goods for their 5am bulletin. The papers need to put the next day's news to bed the day before print. Don't forget they and the TV journos need to have everything photographed, filmed, written, voiced and edited for their evening time slots. So how do you do an embargo? It's both simple and complex. We'll probably get into the granular down the track when we launch our online course, but for now we'll suggest that within the anatomy of the media release, where you would normally include a subtitle of for immediate release or the date, that you swap that out with embargoed until such and such a date. And as PR people and former journalists, we can't emphasise enough how important it is to honour an embargo. If you say it's an embargo, it has to be. You can't have some news outlets dropping it while other news outlets are holding back waiting as requested. And amongst journalists, it's a matter of their honour that they don't break it and they expect the same from PR. Absolutely. There's a huge trust that exists between journalists and communications advisors. If that's breached, the whole relationship is jeopardised. And as a former journo, I can tell you that journos have long memories. So if you say it's an embargo and half the journalists get pipped at the post by another outlet, well, let's just say it isn't forgotten quickly. I feel like we could talk about embargoes well beyond their use-by date. Thank you for listening to It's PR Darlings podcast. I'm Greer Quinn. And I'm Joe Stone. See you next week.